Hello and welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is a conversation with Cork GAA performance nutritionist and former Munster rugby player and current Cork Constitution head coach, Johnny Holland. Myself and Johnny had quite an in-depth discussion regarding sports nutrition and fuel and performance pre-game, in-game and post-game. We also touched on his own professional rugby career and the lessons that he learned from that, as well as the communication style that nutritionists used with him when he was playing and how he now strives to use the same communication style and collaborative approach to coaching in terms of his nutrition practice and his rugby coaching. So loads in here for everyone, a little bit on nutrition, a little bit on rugby and a little bit on injury as well. So as always, I hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. This podcast is sponsored by Coach Sam Portland, who is also known as Coach Sportland on Instagram and Facebook. Sam has devised a mentorship program for strength and conditioning coaches that gives them the tools to take control of and change their lives. I can testify to this given that I participated in the program earlier this year. Sam has coached international rugby players, Olympic athletes and elite level American footballers. Using all of his experience, the mentorship program puts you, the coach, first, giving you systems of application from speed and change of direction to the minute detail of speed coaching, program development, injury rehab and much, much more. It will help you distill your current knowledge and allow you to beat the battle of information overload that industry currently faces. What separates this mentorship program from the rest is the personal development aspect. 50% of the program is dedicated to you getting to know yourself further as a coach. I can safely say that this is the aspect that makes the most meaningful and significant change, helping you to find the right balance between elite level coaching and living a happy and purposeful life. If you're interested and want to learn more, for PD Performance Podcast listeners only, Sam is offering five 60-minute coach audit calls valued at £150 for free. To register for this unique opportunity, send Sam an email with the subject line PD Performance Mentorship to sam at coachsportland.co.uk. Only five audit calls are up for grabs, so go and get after it. Now, on to the podcast. Johnny Holland, what's the story? Um, congratulations, first of all. How's married life treating you so far? So I've had that question a few times and uh, it's not different really, is it? So, uh, no, it's good. It's good. There's definitely, um wouldn't say less pressure because that's probably the wrong way to put it, but you know, all the organisation and having to get your ducks in a row, even though Chloe did most of it, but there's things to be paid for and there's, uh, there's holidays to take and all the rest of it. So as a self-employed person, I think that was tough, but uh, back to normality, yeah. She's stuck with you now, though, like, as a self-employed person, like, you're, <laughs> you're locked in, like. <laughs> yeah, I am, to be fair. No, that's the way we want it. And there'll be no PhD coming soon. We were talking there yesterday about that. Oh, no, no, I don't think I get through that now. Well, you know, many people have, but it's not for me at the moment. It's definitely not in my mind anyway. Exactly. As I said to you, like, you have so many things going on, like, at the moment. Um, it would be hard to throw something else on top of that, but you're no better book, I suppose. Um, you have enough yeah. going on uh, with yeah, Khan. Yeah, we'll get through the Masters then first. Get through the Masters. So the Masters is currently ongoing, is it? Yeah, I'm just in the middle of my thesis. Well, I say the middle of it. I need to get my act together as well, but I've, uh, I did a research project and I have to write it up 
So we'll be finished by, like you have to have it submitted by the 20th of December and then you have to defend it in January. So it's all, it's all underway. So, so that was the right. creatine supplementation for the female athlete. Yeah. Yeah? So what was yeah. your initial kind of hypothesis? And then have you kind of got a chance to gather the data and have a look at it yet? I've gathered it. I haven't had a proper look at it. Like I haven't done my stats and stuff, but um, I suppose I was trying to do it a different way first in that I wanted to do a kind of a slow loading dose of creatine because that's more what I believe in and practice now. Like, you know, after having a couple of years of implementing that with, with players, I just don't really... I don't really use the, the kind of faster loading dose. Um, so, yeah, I was going to go a different way about it, but like getting someone to do something for 28 days and monitoring them and all the rest of it is just a, it's a large scale project. Like, so we just change it around a small bit and we use an acute loading dose to see what the response would be with um, female athletes and elite intercounty athletes. Because I think there's just a gap in the literature with Irish athletes, female, GA, all of the above, you know, so it's, um, it takes a couple of boxes, but like, I'd like to have got a bigger sample size and different things like that. But at the end of the day, it's a master's like, you know, so um, you think you're going to get published and change the, the kind of um, the, the practice in the, in the whole sport, like, and then, then you have to get through it. So it's been a bit, um, bit, a bit of a whirlwind while trying to get ready for a, a wedding and my sister's wedding and all these things. So like there was, there was loads going on. So you basically just said, let's throw all the variables into one study there and uh, see what <laughs> happens. Like, so make it as complicated as you can. GAA, females, creatine supplementation. Yeah. Like, and you had to do the acute loading, I suppose, because, well, I suppose the, like... It depends so you on what you're trying to get out of it. Yeah, like, if it, it depends on what you're monitoring, but we were trying to look at potential weight gain and GI disturbances and, uh, I suppose, like, with kind of daily questionnaires and we were using... Um, we're testing their hydration in the morning time, urine samples, and just a lot of things going on. Like, you're never going to do it across longer than a... Like, it was actually quite enjoyable doing the data collection, and I'm not sure the girls found it too enjoyable, but, you know, actually getting stuck into it and doing something real, I think, and something that is actually practical, like, it's practical yeah. and it's applicable to, to the real world and how we do things in the intercounty setup anyway. So that was quite enjoyable for me, kind of getting stuck into it, but at the end of it, like... You know, it's you've to actually the more you do, the more you have to pull together at the end of it, and and uh, and, and do your, all your data and uh, like your stats and things like. So it is difficult at this stage. I need to need to get my head around it and finish it. You know, that's the tough part. Is afterwards, like I'd say, just getting stuck into the data and having a look at that and saying, and like you'll you'll change your mind about that a number of times. But what I was going to say is what you said there in terms of practicality, like probably from you already working in the industry and already being privately employed or self-employed and working as a performance nutritionist, that's probably why you went with the slow loading phase because it's just so much more practical. Like, like Yeah, it is. Like, I think it's just there's a lot of questions when, and I suppose this research might help in a small way, even though it's gone smaller than I would like it to be. But, you know, there is, there's research across other kind of, cohorts in Australia and elite sport there but the question always comes up whether it's male or female athletes it's like you know I thought that makes you gain weight and I thought you get bloated from that and will it cause me to cramp and you know it does and again like I don't think athletes even know that much about the uh, the stomach upset that might come in a loading dose but I think it's just not really worth it with all the questions and the lack of buy-in that you can potentially get with it I just think it's you know you're not in a sport that's under a lot of pressure to kind of top up the, your kind of your muscle creatine or that saturation like you're not you're not under that much pressure maybe like if someone it's still a tool you can use like if you have someone who's going into competition next week and there's a bit of a placebo involved with the actual effects of that uh, acute dose but like i just don't see the point when you've got you know your weeks out from championship or you know your weeks out from the league campaign like you you can implement it slower and and catch up in a couple of weeks like you know yeah but the other thing that you said there like everybody just kind of 
thinks of weight as the one thing do you know what i mean like it's it's yeah. not in terms of how you're going to use it or an optimal mate so weight they, they think like weight is either bad or good and like both of us from rugby backgrounds same deal especially probably when you were playing more so it was like yeah. more weight more weight more weight whereas now yeah. like it's all about your optimal weight and yeah. what's the optimal weight that you can uh, maintain and you can move as fast as you can but you're still not going to be um under pressure in terms of a contact situation which exactly um, trying to find for lads like me, myself and yourself is probably uh <laughs> the main problem is the contact situation and yeah. you have enough <laughs> weight to, behind you to actually put someone on the floor that's it just a, a more movable object in our in our uh, in our situation but no that's it it's just trying to find the balance between being heavy heavy enough to compete in contact but also the quality of that weight needs to be something that you can use to your advantage and strength to power or strength to weight ratio and your power and all that. Like it's just, it's important that your body composition is within a certain range, but I think we go kind of too far as well in trying to optimize body composition because what is the optimal body composition? Like it doesn't really, it's yeah. not just one size, is it? So, uh, you know, some fellas can operate at a lower body fat percentage and maybe there's something in their environment or in their genetics that allows them to do that, but other people can't get that low, but don't need to go that low. And, you know, will low body fat put the ball over the bar? Like it's not going to. So it's, that's, uh, it. that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, like exactly, it, it's yeah. completely individualized. Like it, it, whether James Harden is 20% body fat or he's 8% body fat, three pointer is still a three pointer. Like, so who <laughs> exactly. cares? Like, you know, and, and like, that's the thing as well. Like we, we do get caught up in the weeds in sports science and in strength condition and nutrition, like all the time. And we fail to look at the bigger picture so that sounds like something that you kind of focus on a lot in your nutritional practice is keeping that bigger picture in mind yeah i suppose i try to but like maybe coming through the the kind of ranks of a professional sport inside the academy and stuff like that as well you learn a lot as well about kind of players mentality around it and you hear a lot of fellas going you know they're giving it to me here about my body composition but like i'm playing well and you hear that so much when you when you are a player and then you know yourself from focusing on body composition you'll find something that suits you and you know my leanest and lightest wasn't my best way but my heaviest probably wasn't either like you know and you'll hear the more experienced athletes kind of talking about it so I think when you've come through it you kind of have to take a broader picture but at the same time when I was my own athlete I was probably a lot harder on myself than what I would have been on other people now like because I do see the bigger picture you have to kind of stand back from it at times like and yeah you go into a you go down a rabbit hole and you think something is the most important thing ever to you as a practitioner as well and then you kind of get a bit of perspective on that too but I think yeah you do have to stand back because I think if you're if you're a nutritionist or if you're a strength conditioning coach or any one of that kind of multidisciplinary team and you think you're the most important person and you're the one getting the most out of your game I think you're lost like you know so like where's the mental side coming from it with the with the psychologist or no psychologist just the athlete as a person and then how they eat how they move how they take on board some coaching like it there's so much going on that if you think it's your area that's the most important, then you know you're gonna you're not gonna last in that area for very long. There's only one person that's the most important, and that's the athlete. Um, Absolutely, every, everybody yeah. else needs to check their ego and leave it at the door, like um, because like I suppose we like it's our profession as well, so we know that we can make a big um, impact or have a big impact. But like at the same time, we probably overestimate the impact that we can make at at sometimes. But you still have to do the best job that you possibly can. Yeah. Like. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say that like you can't take the you can't take the pride out of your work because you know that if a fella is leaner or within a certain range of being you know whatever that means to them, but within a certain range for their sport, then you know they're going to be probably fitter, probably more powerful, probably better in contact. You know, like they'll finish the game stronger, they'll be better fuel going into it, and then that is a knock-on effect on everything. So like I wouldn't underestimate the impact that you can have, but like with these guys at a at a higher level, 
you're kind of tweaking things as opposed to changing their whole lifestyle around. Now, some fellas have, you get some great impacts with, with some guys as well, but, you know, they'd want to be operating outside of that range to get bigger impacts. You know, the closer they are to that range, the less of an impact you're going to have on them. But also, you know, dealing with players, you probably deal with their confidence as well. And it's their preparation and confidence that you're kind of optimizing or balancing out. You know, no, that's, to get a good, that, that's a good yeah. word. It is demonized as well. Like optimized is a vague term, but like it is like that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to have them as confident as possible without being too confident. So that we exactly. want them cocky. Like, so it's, it's the same thing. It's within mean. a range, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's what I mean by optimizing. Like optimizing might be just settling them down, telling them to stop thinking. You know, that might be more optimal for them. So I don't mean optimal as like the best situation, but the best situation for that person might be just to stop thinking about it and go out and play. Like you know, and I've I've definitely been in that situation myself where you're thinking about should my right foot go in front of my left foot when I'm kicking, and you know, it's kind of like you can overthink it completely, but you lose the kind of flow state too. Like you're you're too busy looking at your feet, and the ball's gone wide. <laughs> that's it like you know you're trying to see where you've landed and you're, you're thinking about the wrong things like so I think yeah you definitely need to get outside your head at times and maybe that's just part of allowing the athlete to be prepared so much that they can just focus on the game and what, what they're doing as opposed to you know are they prepared or they might say to you oh I didn't feel like I fueled well enough but like you have enough unless it comes into the last 10 minutes of a, of a tough game like you know you will get through it so you see it's actually very interesting like hell week was on in the last couple of weeks and uh they weren't fueled, but, you know, you see some guys, Peter Stringer, running the 21-kilometer hike, like, you know, you find it somewhere. So I think that there's um there's learning and all those things, like... They don't have to recover those. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. do it again this week. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I would be worried about. Um, yeah. But I was just going to say, like, and I was going to say that the problem is, well, not even that it's a problem, but a lot of athletes speak in absolutes, but it's not just athletes. Like, it's, it's yeah. the whole country it's yeah. it's either always or never and the same thing as if we bring it back to your kick like if my right foot lands in front of my left foot then the ball always goes over the bar no fucking does yeah. it because yeah like, and, that, and that's, that's it, life, like, like. we're dealing with extremes all the time like and you're either low carb or high carb or you're you know fats the devil or carbs are the devil mm-hmm. and it, you are dealing in extremes all the time someone is all in now or they're not in at all because it's christmas time or you know what i mean like but there has to be there has to be some form of balance, like, and the, the more balanced you are, the more consistent you'll be over time, and you don't really have to deal with these extremes anymore of, like, I'm going to turn my life around for four weeks, and then I'm going to enjoy myself for four weeks. Like, it just doesn't really work like that, you know? Yeah, why don't you do both as best that you can at the same time, like, essentially, like, yeah. Um, yeah. but it, it's it's a tough one to get through, because as you said, like, it's always not enough. So it's, oh, I wasn't fueled enough. Well, what is enough, like? Do you know what I mean? There, there becomes a tipping point as well. Like, and that's what I've heard you talking about in terms of um, your pre-match nutrition and athletes carb loading. A lot of the time they overdo it more so than, well, not more so than underdo it, but probably in equal amounts overdo it as much as underdo it. And you don't want to be going into a game with an upset stomach or feeling no. heavy, I suppose, is the term that you've used before. Yeah, I think that's the term that I kind of... Um... It was just echoed back of me a lot when I started in the GAA. It was a funny one that I hadn't really heard it so much in um, in rugby circles because they want to be heavy, like, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, they were like saying, "I feel heavy," but it wasn't a heaviness that I I just kind of translated sluggish, it to, I suppose. Yeah, but a fullness and a lack of digestion and just that kind of bloatedness from eating a lot in the day of, like you know. And that's something that I've definitely changed my opinion of. Like you know, I thought that you still had to have a decent pre-match meal and you have to still have a good bit of food on on that day, but like. I think you can relax and be comfortable because you know what you've done in the last couple of days is going to be uh, enough to get you through or not even get you through, but be quite good, you know? So I think um, 
that's the the kind of relationship with the person that you're dealing with or their understanding of what's going on as well. Like the less you want to eat on that match day, you know, don't eat nothing, obviously, and you do still have to get some food in. But um, And then the less you get in, maybe the more you have to think about what it is that you're getting in and uh, the simplicity of those carbohydrates and how you digest them and all that kind of stuff. But like some people just don't like to eat on match day. And if they want to keep it light for most meals, then maybe they just go a full two days beforehand with with uh, increasing their carbs and other fellas who like to eat and feel full on a match day like I would have I, I would have been hungry in a game if I didn't eat properly before it so like that hunger distracts me in day to day life never mind in a match so it's uh, it's something where I, I would have had a full meal anyway so do I need to and as an athlete that was trying to gain weight all the time did I need to start carb loading on top of that like definitely not you know and I never really I never really carb loaded a massive amount anyway because I was always putting weight on so I was always up at like you know, six, seven grams of carbs per kilo of body weight. And it was always quite high. Like, so I don't think I was ever walking around depleted of carbs. We're, again, like we're just missing the forest for the trees, I suppose. Well, athletes maybe because they're like, oh, what am I doing on match day? And it's like, well, what, what the fuck have you been doing for the last 14 days? Never mind match day. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you see with like maybe club athletes that they're, you know, it's championship now, so actually before it. And it's like, you should have actually practiced this at some stage. And, you know, there's more to... The week or the last couple of days and just the championship morning like you know so yeah you're dead right you do kind of you do deal with kind of absolutes like you said and you miss the forest for the trees because you just think that any one moment is more important than a collect- like a, a couple of moments collectively like you know but like at the same time we've just touched on it there there's a high degree of individuality when it comes down to these nutritional practice because practices because it's not a one size fits all as you said there some lads will want to eat on the match day some lads won't so I just wanted to ask you, without naming names now, can you give us a couple of the very common problems that you've had to deal with with your athletes in the in the recent months, I suppose, and then how much of that process has been individualized or how much of it just comes down to cleaning up kind of general habits? Um, yeah, I think there's a, like the collective should sort of something for most people because you'd hope to kind of explain it in a way that you should touch on everyone, but like, they're they maybe don't take it on board at the time or they don't really understand it or maybe don't know how to apply it but at the same time you know they kind of know what's best for themselves as well like you fellas would say to you i just don't tolerate a gel very well or i don't tolerate the sports drink very well and that's probably one of them that you know coming off the back of the ga season like you're going through a lot of matches and stuff that you can't have one carbohydrate source in the dressing room you have to have multiple and different forms and different tastes and you know it, it's just it's not going to be like you said one size fits all but it's the same understanding that you're getting a carbohydrate source in so like um like that now it's kind of playing around with one or two of the footballers like that didn't take gels because they just didn't suit them and it's kind of like the osmodality of that where it's a sticky paste as opposed to a drink that you can digest a little bit easier so you know going through things like can you take the gel on board with some water or with some fluid and then it changes how you digest it and it's um a little bit different in your stomach or um, you know, when fellas get really kind of bad cramping or stomach issues and maybe they're dehydrated with the carbs going in too. So then like you're kind of thinking, can I get this fella a sports drink instead or does he need to eat some food or does he just need to hydrate and make sure that he's carb loaded beforehand quite well, you know. So it's a, there's, a, there's a couple of things like that going on. And then I think in the last year as well, you've fellas kind of really focusing on their own body composition and getting stronger and or leaner and what they've done in the off season has been kind of quite interesting. You know, some fellas have turned into senior athletes, like coming from just getting out of under twenties or something, and maybe just hadn't had the chance to work on their, their strength and their size and how they move, you know? So I think there was a massive opportunity there. I'm not so sure about many problems, to be honest. Like I think, uh, 
you know, a lot of fellow, we, we probably had a lot of time to work on things and especially yeah. with my own continuity within the squads in the last couple of years, like I don't think there was any major issues. But again, it's just still trying to get to know the individual. And when we say like, I think sometimes when you say, oh, I deal with someone on an individual individual basis, people think that you're running like a blood profile on every single one of them and changing their diet and that they've got different kind of, and you see all these nonsense things about eating for your blood type and it, it just doesn't exist. Like, you know, so what you're really talking about is just, spending more time asking questions and trying to understand the person until you figure it out like you know and that might take a lot longer with some people and it might be quite short with others because they've got less issues or they speak to you more so like you you kind of learn it a lot faster and other fellas are kind of slow burners where you have to kind of unravel it a small bit like you know so the individual thing it comes across as a bit kind of um you know daunting to fresh complex practitioners. yeah it's not as it's not as daunting or as complex as what you think it is now Maybe other people, you know, you see like individual athletes going to the Olympics or boxers and stuff like that. It's obviously an individual sport. You can really drill into it. But from a team perspective, when I say individual, like you're really only trying to know the person as much as you can before making decisions because um, they'll all react a little bit differently. Like, First off, I should have called, I should have said work-ons rather than problems because we never have problems. We just have work-ons. Um, <laughs> yeah. But what you said there in terms of the individualization as well, like, I, yeah, I'd agree with what you said completely, like from even from seeing nutritionists work before, like a lot of it comes down to the individual's lifestyle. It's not so much like the foods that they're eating, even though you're still, you're still going to be focused on what macros they're getting in and if they're getting the right micronutrients as well. But you can't treat someone the exact same that's up at 5 a.m. every morning for work as a teacher that's up at 10 to 9 sorry to the teachers yeah yeah the you know what i mean so so it's like timing yeah. of of when you're ingesting your food like do you prefer to eat before training or are you going to bed straight after training pretty much or trying to so are you going to be able to take on a huge meal after training and that can be a problem for ga athletes especially because if they're working then, long hours throughout the day they haven't had time well we all we all have time i suppose but they say that they don't have time to ingest the, enough food so then that is when you're eating before sleep it can be a problem day. Yeah, like when I came into the GA, I was like, you know, I, I was probably harsh on, I wasn't harsh on people because I never actually said it to anyone, but I probably had learned just before that by starting to coach with Con that these fellas were out of work all day. And in fairness with Con, we're very local, you know, there's a couple of lads that travel a little bit more distance um, on training nights and stuff like that. But for the most part, fellas are local. But when you're dealing with an inter-county team, especially in a county like Cork, that's kind of kind of widespread, um, you are getting fellas who are traveling an hour, like an hour and a bit maybe like, and then you know, they're getting to training early for physio and also maybe there's no time to go home between that and work, you know, so they just have to go there early anyway and try and get bits and pieces done. And then if they were home afterwards as well. So like, I think it was the big thing to put manners on me in terms of my empathy and how I deal with people is that, you know, you do realize that some of them are up at half five, six o'clock going to a, a physical job, like tradespeople, you know, not just sitting in an office either. And then they're, they're having to go up the road at half four or five o'clock to get to training, to get their physio done. To, to be prepared and then when they're leaving it's half eight nine o'clock and they're not getting home till 10 o'clock like you're telling them to to prep their food and and treat them the same as a person who lives in douglas from from parky Creeve. like you know it's, it's very very different so i think that definitely put a bit of manners or not really manners on me but i think it, it was a realization moment that you know this whole thing where i would have been like you do have time for it get up off the couch and start watching tv and get up in the morning time stop sleeping too much even though i don't think people sleep too much you just stay up too late but like at the same time I kind of went, right, stop being such a hard ass. Like, people actually have things going on, you know. So, in the GA, particularly in the inter-county setup, like, I think that I don't really give too many people the excuse of time, but I definitely I let them away with one or two things because of time because they've got very little of it and a lot of pressure on them as well. 
Don't worry, I know what you mean by put manners on you, being from the same yeah. area of the world. This is for anybody that's up here in the pale now or um, that isn't from the southern province, I suppose. Johnny has just articulated what he means by put manners on you, but it means just check yourself essentially, like, and, and realize yeah. that you can't be so black and white in your thinking and just relax it a little bit more. In terms of then individualization as well, like we've touched there on in-game nutrition and yeah. it might sound ridiculous, but you've already said it there. The individualization in terms of in-game nutrition might be just like, do you want an orange slice or do you want a Jaffa cake or do you want a gel? Like, and that's what we've just yeah. said. And, and not like, from my experience anyway, there's only a handful of athletes on the team that I'm working with that can tolerate the gels. And generally the ones that tolerate them are the ones that have taken it in the past. And I've ran yeah. into problems before in terms of athletes are now with the water breaks coming to that final water break and they're struggling a little bit and they're like give me a gel give me a gel and I'm like whoa whoa have, have you taken one before and I had one instance where I fell a hat and I told him to take half of it and he, he took the whole thing because uh, I don't know he just didn't want to listen to me and then he had to come off um, and he came off and he ran straight into the jacks <laughs> So, Lovely, yeah. like so yeah. that does happen like and it, it's about finding a, a balance and finding out what works for everyone and what works yeah, for one uh, person isn't going to work for everyone so you have to have a number of different types of jellies as well you? yeah yeah but like just a, the message of practicing it beforehand like you know that you might have been like right i'll take a sports drink on board and say which probably should have happened anyway like i mean when you look at the intercounty setup in the last two years like it's it's interesting watching it on tv and as a nutritionist you're trying to see trying to catch the table of the other nutritionists kind of going what are they doing that we're not doing or is there anything different but like it's not any different like you'll see people are kind of going what are Dublin doing or what are Limerick doing and of course they're doing something in behind the scenes and they're getting um there's, there's reasons why they're performing so consistently but like is it the type of jelly that's on their table there's not jellies on the table anyway like so you talk about you know when you need a carbohydrate uh source in these types of exercise like and people always kind of say oh you only need something if it's more than an hour and you know, GA is 70 minutes, but you've also got a warm up and you've also got the intensity that you're playing at. So yeah, be, be carb loaded and get something on at half time. But like, you know, you're expecting to see something on the table where, you know, there's food there and fellas, will, even the kit men will say to me, like, should I bring the gels out for the second water break? And it's like, you really like, you're only doing it because players might be looking for it, but they probably shouldn't be looking at it if or looking for it, if they've kind of understood it a small bit, you know? So it's like, yeah, we really don't need them, but they're probably left over from half time. So bring them out there if you want. And if a fella is struggling, particularly in that game, because he's coming back from injury or he's just a bit unsure of, of his kind of loading process, then fair enough. But like, you probably shouldn't need a whole lot more than water on those water breaks, you know? But what like that's it as well though. It's a lot of it is a placebo effect upstairs. Like and it's they're thinking yeah. like, oh, I'd have to ingest something and then I'll be flying it. Like, and is me giving someone like uh round trees fruit pastel gonna be the difference between them putting it over the bar, and not putting it over there? Probably not, yeah. like, but it makes a difference to their head and it's all about confidence, as we said. But they underestimate even the value, I'd say, of the sports drinks or even a mount mouth rinse of some carbohydrate or something like that. Yeah. And like it's the same thing from a strength conditioning perspective as well like you're constantly looking at other teams and it goes on everywhere it's like what are they doing differently to us in the gym yeah. what are Limerick doing what are Limerick doing in the gym now that that, that that they're so good no they're just they're better at hurling like they're putting the ball over the bar more times and they're they're winning and a lot of time the difference is an intangible like it's not a strength yeah. conditioning difference it's not a nutrition difference those are the small margins that we have to try and improve all the time but there's no like magic formula nobody's running away with a magic formula you know 
No, and that's like where they think like, you know, let's see their Broncos scores or let's see what their scores are like in the gym. And I think, you know, you put your strongest athlete against their strongest athlete. I don't think there's any difference in them or your fittest against your fittest. Maybe consistently across the board, they're all a bit more developed or, you know, something like that. But I don't think you're going to, and maybe like it's more of a how they move and just a bit more exposure over time, you know, these kind of things. But like, if you're looking at like one versus one, like you're not really going to get the answer in that because it's not massively different and like you said there it's environmental it's intangible it's coaching it's all it's all of those things pulled together like it's not just other oh, stronger than us or they're fitter than us often when people think that the, the other team are fitter than them they just play the better tactics and they've run you around the place and you're chasing shadows like so is it fitness or is it the amount of load that they've ex- exerted on you while controlling the game like you know so it's probably a frustrating one from a sports and or a strength and conditioning point of view that you know, you lose a game and all of a sudden you weren't fit or strong enough, but you win a game and no one bats an eyelid, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's small margins as well. And often, like, the team that, oh, they're a lot fitter than us, well, they actually didn't run as much because they were in the position quicker and they were in the right position for the ball to break for them. Um, yeah. What can we do to improve that? Probably not run you into the ground. Don't get me started on Bronco tests now. But uh, if we could get you a little bit faster, a little bit more agile, a little bit better at perceiving where the ball is going to break, then you're more than likely going to be there. So let's focus on the bigger picture here and focus on the sport. Just so we've moved... Like, uh, sorry, last one is like, even with Con, like there, there's been a couple of times, and we don't really talk about that, but like there's been a few times where there's a, there's a decision at the end of the game. Like I know one game a few years back, there was a scrum penalty that could have gone either way and we got it and we kicked it over the bar and we won our first game of the season. And like it kind of allowed us to, to drive on a small bit and win the next one and build a bit of momentum. But like it's a it's a referee's whistle that decided the game, like, you know, so and a fella had to kick it and the fellas had to scrummage, so don't get me wrong, but like, you know, you'll see the reaction in the papers or the media from games that are on TV and the penalty goes against them, they weren't fit enough or good enough, but the penalty goes for them and just paper over the cracks and there was nothing wrong with them at the time like you know so it is split, uh, split second stuff that wins or loses the games like not the not the out and out conditioning it's, and it has to be an issue it's with a some factor team. it's a factor yeah, yeah, yeah but everything's yeah. a factor and it's not one thing yeah. now we will yeah. get into con in a minute but what i wanted to touch on before we get into that is we've done pre-match nutrition we've done in-game nutrition yeah. then from a post-match kind of nutrition and a perspective there my perspective as an SNC is the second they step off of the pitch, they're now recovering for the next game or for the next session. So how have you kind of facilitated that recovery as best as you can while still kind of being conscious that post-game it's not going to be the most important thing, as we said? Like, And even if an athlete is coming off, like the game isn't over. Like, So I can't be jumping down their throat, trying to throw uh, carbohydrates at them or throw drinks at them and throw food at them. And I've done it myself, like throwing bananas at I've them. I've done it as well. And that's what I was going to say, that like there's massive learnings in that, that like you're the nutritionist, so get them their milk. Like, and are you at the start was probably trying, probably a bit more insecure, not insecure, but like just kind of trying to do things like, you know, and I was just meeting them coming off the pitch with their milk and they're kind of looking at you stupid like and some fellas will take it and they kind of know the importance of getting something on board but you know what's the difference between the fella that exerts himself for 55 minutes and comes off the fella who's on for 70 minutes doing more can't get that milk so is he going to be less recovered of course he's got more load like but is the split second going to matter or can they both get it after 70 minutes like you know so I think some of those things have definitely gone more into my mind as I was more experienced with it and not to kind of put fellas under pressure particularly when you're losing you see that there's more milk left over when you're Man- winning manners have been put on you basically <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah um, I've had to put them on myself because like that like of course you need to get some like 
you talk about a training session and you want to eat within a certain amount of time afterwards, whatever that might be, uh, like depending on what they've eaten beforehand. And you do want to get something within the hour, like, or maybe a bit earlier, depending on how, how hard it was. But like at the same time, you know, they haven't eaten in a long time after the games or before the game. So like you do want to get something into them when they can tolerate it. But like that interaction between the mental and the physical and the nutrition and annoying them and pissing them off, frustrating them on the bench when they're already frustrated for coming off, unless they've just had a really good effort and delighted to come off because they know they know they've, that they've emptied themselves, you know. So like, yeah, I've had some looks and I've had some don't want it and throw it away, take it and throw it in beside them kind of thing. Like, and you kind of realize that, you know, we can wait until the dressing room afterwards. But like, that's only one situation where, you know, you need, you need to have something in the dressing room because very often you won't get that meal for another one to two hours unless you're above and grow park or unless you're eating on site which doesn't actually happen as much as you think in the GA, like you go off back to your hotel or you go back to a club that you've set up in, uh, in the pandemic and stuff where you might get a takeaway. You might get a takeaway in the in the ground, but they're not going to open that and eat it with a plastic fork and knife right there. Like, you know, so that's where the, the dressing room does become important. Like, funny enough, people think about gels beforehand. They never think about them afterwards and I don't either. But if, if there's a gel left over, there's no, no harm in taking that. Or, but I don't do that. Like, we more than likely drink a sports drink, finish off the jellies, finish off the Jaffa cakes, whatever's in the dressing room. They'll, they'll keep picking away once there's things there. So like that, now you need to just facilitate the fact that there needs to be a box of fruit, different bits and pieces, sports drinks, plenty of fluid, have a protein milk there or whatever type of milk you're using. And, um, or unless they're using their own protein shakes and bringing them with them, but they won't bring them, I bet you. Not too many fellas will be organized that way when they're thinking about the game. So um, yeah, you're just making sure that there, there are things available, a combination of carbs and protein within the dressing room and fluids. And then uh, like those three hours of recovery, isn't it? The repair, refuel, rehydrate protein, carbs, and, and fluids. So making sure that those things are there for that kind of hour, and then you move on to your meal afterwards, which obviously is their bigger top-up. Like, So I know there we've talked about individualization a lot, and it's not one-size-fits-all, yeah. but those three hours, would they be your non-negotiables, do you reckon, if you were to say you had any non-negotiables? Yeah, I think so. Like, you have to... There are certain guidelines you can't get away from, like, you know, mm. or like you said, non-negotiables, it's still going to matter. Like, you do need to get protein and carbs in after a, after a game. You do need to... Uh, rehydrate uh, soon after that game so like they are non-negotiables but like when you say individual fellas are different weights like so is the same 27 gram bottle of protein milk going to do the heaviest and the lightest you know, there's a difference some fellas take two milks because other fellas don't take any so like you're not going to be going around saying you know lads it's a gram of carbohydrates per kilo of body weight now so you need an apple and two nutrients whereas you don't you know so like you're not Tony, we're after some... losing by three points. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Unless you're going to have the packs there ready for them, I don't. I just don't think it's realistic, or doesn't. It's not going to make the biggest difference in the world anyway, because they'll all go to the post-match meal and eat to their appetite, regardless. You know, so and that's another thing that comes into it is appetite. You know, some fellas won't touch it for a while, and other fellas are ravenous coming off the pitch. Like, so that's the individual thing: knowing who's going to take it from you, knowing who's going to have more in the the, the meal afterwards, and um, at the end of the day, like you say, you're splitting hairs with the amounts and the absolute values. Do you think it was easier for you to have that empathy and have that connection and understand what the players were going through, given your experience in professional sport and what you went through yourself? Yeah, I think so. I think it has to stand for something, you know. So, like, uh, it didn't stop me from charging at them with, a, with an having more milk at the start. Like, But I think you realise the reaction and you're kind of going, right, they're, I know why they're pissed off and I know and you put the arm around them and you say after an hour I know you've not had anything so maybe let's just get into it like you know but I think yeah with a bottle is it <laughs> with a baby's bottle yeah 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 <laughs> so I think like you do understand the situation you probably understand the dressing room a little bit more you don't overstep you kind of just learn to blend into the back room because you know what it's like when someone else doesn't do that you know and you it, and when someone does that in your dressing room as well 
you tend to see it very easily because you know when you've been in the dressing room you kind of it does catch your eye sometimes going what are they doing like you know so I think mm. definitely trying to blend in I've been in plenty of dressing rooms as well where you're kind of feeling like you know there's tactics going on here like I shouldn't be here really but you do still want to try and be the fly on the wall um as small as you can a in the presence so, a presence you're available to them then I suppose like do you know if they do need to come up to you yeah, they, they will still ask you, like, do I take my caffeine gum right now or will I take it in 30 seconds time? Like, you know, so they will still ask you so, small stuff like that. So that's like what we said, the confidence. It doesn't matter whether to take it now or two minutes time. They obviously need to be within a certain time to, like, you you know, the absorption of caffeine, depending on the the, the kind of way you take it, like whether yeah. it's gum or, or gel or whatever, it's going to take some time. So, like, obviously those things are guidelines, but, you know, whether they take it when they ask you or whether they you're not there at all and they wouldn't have asked you, it's, you know, they're well able when you're not there. So, like, I think it's... Uh, Again, not trying not to split hairs, but being there to kind of address the confidence and letting them know that yeah, now is a good time to take it, and they move on to the next thing. But like it, the the kind of fly in the wall thing is just kind of seeing, you know, that fella's not really take on taking on much carbohydrate, or he's cramped in the game, and I knew at half time I didn't really see him up to much, like you know. So it's mm-hmm. just small things like that might give you the edge when you're dealing with them afterwards. But um, in terms of having been in dressing rooms, I think it, it's uh, it's also important for my confidence, like you know, the things that I'm doing and at different times like coaches or players or someone might say to you we don't need you here or you know do you want to be in here and it's like sometimes at that stage you're kind of going I'm not really needed or yeah I know you don't really want me there but I'd like to have a look over your shoulder I'd like at some stage to get into that dressing room just to see what's going on but I don't need to be there every time so let me know it's a good time to get in there you know these kind of things that just allows you to have the confidence of backing yourself as well at times it's something from actually working and actually doing a job that you realize is best practice is best practice it's not the yeah. only practice. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and some things just yeah. aren't practical, so you can't do them that way. So that doesn't mean that they're not valuable, though. But yeah. it just means that you can't, like, you're not going to be able to do it the exact same way that was done in a research study, which you know all about anyway. Exactly, and it's like what what's happening in the book and what's happening in your environment. Like, what's your what's the manager like? What are the coaches like? What what's your actual group like as well? Do they place value on this, or just, are you just going to piss them off? Like, you know, so it's maybe trying to get that education in somewhere else and letting them know that it is important, but at this time you don't need to fight that battle you know so it's just yeah like you said it's you know what does the textbook say how does that translate and in your environment is that possible or what's the priority and if you're if at that time it's not the priority then just get out of the way like I know you've said yourself that you would have been partial to going online during your playing career and having a look and a gander a few research studies and then wrecking nutritionists head the odd time but is there anything that now that we've talked about like practicality and that is there anything that you look back on that you did in your own career that you'd be like oh jesus what was that there loads yeah um there's plenty of it like i mean i got really into the nitty-gritty of some things that didn't actually matter like we said a while ago about um you know eating generally well and carbon up and stuff and you're talking about micronutrients and thinking that you're the most important person in the room i don't think i'm the most important person in the room but as a player I, I focused on nutrition a lot, like, and probably way too much to the point where when I was injured, I was buying loads of pineapples to get certain ingredients in there. And I was, you know, berries into smoothies and all, all good habits, but like, I just placed way too much importance on them, like, you know, and it probably dictated how I ate. And then 
Um, things like having a load of sweet potato because I just thought it was better than potato. Like, and like, that was a phase, though. Up. That was a phase back then. Like, everybody thought that. Yeah, at the time. It was like, but I did it twice a day, every day, with buckets of it because I, oh. I would have to eat a lot as well. Like, so I just thought this was the best way to get more in. Like, and even I was doing an Instagram live kind of turn podcast thing on Monday, and uh, one of the lads commented on it, asking about the sweet potato. Like, you know, because it, it's gonna, it's always gonna come up, fellas. And when I was injured, I was sitting in the gym eating my own lunch with fellas would go for lunch, and I just, I put way, way too much importance. Now I think at the same time it gave me some form of an age and I was doing I was doing a lot of very good things but at the same time I was reading and asking the nutritionist or dietitian at the time and she'd be like oh how do I explain this now without kind of taking the window out of a sales like you know but also tell them to stop talking nonsense like you know so there was a was a balance balance in terms of my education too without kind of beating me down in, in terms of what I was learning as well but like that's why I actually got into nutrition like I remember saying to Catherine that um, you know, I'm sick of kind of reading contradictory stuff and I don't know who to believe and all that kind of thing. So that's why I kind of got into the more formal education of nutrition. And that probably drove me on a bit because there's only so much that Catherine could teach me with my one off questions or running into their office in the middle of gym sets, like, and just kind of saying, you know, yeast free bread, good or bad, or sweet potato or potato, which is better. And like, good or bad. Going, black and white. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and she's kind of on the spot going, mm, well, they're both good for you, or, yeah. you know, what's the context when you're having it how much you have and i'm going sorry i need to put, jump back in on the squat there so, you know like it's yeah it's just not the right way to learn so like in fairness she put me on the right track and i i, I went and got more educated and yeah. luckily I, i've kind of i didn't do too many things that i would be madly embarrassed about because i thought it was the right thing at the time and everything moves on but i think as a practitioner you're going to do things now that you don't believe in either in five years time or more more research comes out and you you realize you were the one talking about that you know so I think if you're if you're not learning, you'll never be embarrassed with the things you've done because you've never really moved on. Sounds like her communication style and like her openness had a big impact on you. Um, and then I like I'd assume you were looking for black and white answers all the time, and then you became a nutritionist and you started reading research studies, research papers, and you were like, "Hold on a second, like there's no black and white in any of this. It's all kind of you have to make up your own mind or what suits the individual," as we've already touched on. But that communication yeah. style that she used, is that something that you're conscious of now, like when you're working with players? Usually, I think it really impacted my career that I didn't have yet, but it, it impacted how I learned and it impacted how I communicated with people, definitely, because it's, I, I probably learned my, it's like the education of life in a sense, like that you kind of learn through practice. And, you know, I think being kind of empathetic in that and kind of giving people some bits. I know she told me things were fine at the time when she was kind of giving me something like, and I was looking back now, I'm like, oh, I was still stupid, but like she couldn't just cut me down completely. Like, so once it wasn't doing any harm, she was allowing me to play around with one or two things, but definitely then to tell me I was wrong and other things like, you know, so it's definitely how I deal with people because of that. I think there was a big shift in how we were educated as athletes when Catherine came in. And that's something that I would have noticed being into my nutrition and stuff. I just would have noticed that straight away. She wasn't washing her shakers and filling her shakers and she wasn't doing some of the stuff that is just babying us. Like, you know, so it was mm -hmm. definitely a case of being adults, but being educated too and allowed to make our own decisions. So that's something that I would try to get across to players that, you know, you might be explaining a little bit too much to them sometimes, but I think when the penny drops, they'll, they'll be able to deal with that when they go back to their clubs or when they don't have you as a nutritionist or when they're maybe out of the scene or in their own lifestyle at home the other couple of hours we're not training like you know so i think the education piece to me is massively important as opposed to just telling them what to do and when 
Absolutely. Like, and it's kind of what we were going to talk about. It's more of a collaborative kind of approach to their learning rather than an authoritative, this is the way it is. And you just need to learn it, which is the way to leave and start, which I think probably permeates the culture uh, in <laughs> Ireland more so than anything else. But before we move on from talking about nutrition and the injured athlete, like then from your communications with injured athletes, what would be the common work-ons that you see with those injured athletes in it, like in a general kind of consensus or like, what are the main problems that we see to use the word problems again, um, with the injured athletes and what are the mistakes that they make a lot of the time? Would you say? Well, I think we, I think we can make mistakes too in that. Like you go to the athlete, you want to get your, you want to get stuck in, you want to get your teeth into him. Like, Oh, he did a, he did a, a knee ligament in the match at the weekend. Let's text him now and say, this is what we need to do. His head is so far from that or her head is so far from that that you know you have to be very careful about who the person is again because some people just beat themselves up about why they got injured they might have had two or three before that and you have to realize that they're not thinking about their food like you know I don't want them obviously to go away and have a load of points at that time but if that's what they need at the time because they've had a couple and they're out for a long time I can't dictate that so I think I need to be very careful about who it is what their situation is how many injuries they've been through is it fresh to them do they understand anything to do with it because a lot of the time you see fellas go well I'm injured now so I'm going to have a blowout or I'm injured now so I'm going to eat what I want and it's actually the opposite you've you've less leeway with what you're doing um, when you're, your body is obviously going through a, a trauma of some degree whether it's big or small it's a continuation of recovery from training and matches anyway so that's why i think there's a there's a nice little kind of link to it because like training and playing and stuff it breaks down your body to a degree and you have to recover that as well so then the injury is just like that but in a targeted site so like a lot of the things are going to be similar messages to what they're used to um but you see fellas don't probably understand that like you know some non-negotiable things that depending on the person they might not want to lose weight or they might want to lose weight and mm-hmm. it dictates how they eat in that next kind of couple of months period. So you have to try to, you know, I see all these things about weight maintenance is a very good place to be for an optimal or a kind of a, a nice rec- um, recovery kind of environment. Mm-hmm. You, so you want to have that to a degree, but then some guys might be doing a lot of upper body. So their, their weight might go up a small, but then you have to, you have to kind of allow that to happen and facilitate that while also um, managing overall body fat levels. But you might also know that this guy is a, a guy that could lose body fat quite quite quickly and when they start running it falls off them anyway so like but do they want to start running with maybe a knee injury or something like that where they're overloading their upper body and having a little oh, bit of or load going through that knee so there's loads there's loads going on but i think the the messages to them are quite simple you know let's monitor your weight uh keep it fairly balanced and normal and don't be going up and down um you know have a protein source four or five times a day 25 grams 30 grams whatever it is depending on their body weight obviously a nutritionally diverse and nutrient dense diet different colors hitting your fruit and veg having some fish if you like it high fiber carbs you're probably not having cereal bars or the you know the kind of sugary stuff as much anymore you're not drinking sports drinks because you don't need them uh so just kind of very basic practical things like that but like when i was injured i was you know what spices am i having and you know where am i getting my omega-3s from every day and like it just you get into these kind of rabbit holes like as opposed to just thinking basics every day uh protein yeah. source protein maintenance up, calories yeah you know yourself like there's you can't go too far away from that and then when you're dealing with the athlete who's less experienced as well like you know that's the only place you need to go and do they even know what calories are anyway so like yeah. trying to figure out what they do in a day-to-day and what they need to kind of pull back slightly on or what they don't need to pull back on because with their injury they're going to have a lot of recovery and an increase in kind of metabolic rate and all that kind of stuff so like yeah. you know again it sounds complicated but it's not it's the basic it's stuff that we're dealing with anyway in post training or post-match recovery you know yeah you don't want them in the deficit you don't want them in a surplus 
of too much yeah. anyway. Like, especially like I see young lads when they get injured now, they're just, if it's a lower limb injury, they're like, right, I'm just going to get massive now. Um, <laughs> just to show off. Like, and then I'm like, well, okay, we can probably put on a little bit of muscle mass, but realistically, if we put on five kilos here and you come back, is your hamstring going through the same load that it was previously? No. So we probably need to get it stronger than it was previously. So maybe we just, like we can always improve, we can improve your strength, but maybe let's not focus on putting on five kilos of muscle mass at this That's time. That's what I've actually kind of figured out as well. It's just focusing on strength as opposed to actual size. Once you've the strength and you lay down those foundations, whether it comes with size or not, once you've built that strength, when the time is right, you will put on a bit of muscle mass a bit easier because you've built the foundations to do that. Like, you know, so there's, there's ways of dealing with it. And now I don't deal with that side of it, but I'd be speaking to people kind of in a private sense uh, outside of you know teamwork where you'd have to kind of have that bit of knowledge as well so it's important you that you understand these things Mm -hmm. like you know and you also get the athletes that you know probably carrying a bit too much body fat and they know it but then it's a it's a time they want to focus on it when they're injured and you know depending on who that person is and how much they have uh, in terms of body fat then maybe you can but also you can't go into a huge deficit because you need to look after their recovery and the and the environment that's creating so it's it's just trying to find the balance based on who's in front of you like Irish people don't like balance stuff for some reason. It's, yeah. it's all or nothing, like, which is... Only human nature likes it anyway. So it's, uh, with all of us, we're just trying to find a bit more anyway. Like, I mean, I think it's a, a classic cliche that I probably throw it a bit too much. Like, uh, people are sick of hearing me saying balance or consistency and stuff. But, like, you know yourself, you know, you can't be a world beater one day and forget about it the next. Like, you might as well have had two half-decent days instead of uh, mm. the extremes, you know, go for, go for the average of the two and see where you go, like... And that sounds like that's something that like you don't regret anything in terms of your professional career and how diligent you were with the rehab. But at some level, and I've heard you speak before, that you would have just said, here, if you could go back and talk to him, relax, go out with the lads, go have a coffee, go connect with people like that social element is as important and de-stressing as is your nutrition and as is your rehab and as is your training. Yeah, like I didn't go through recurring injuries to be fair. So like, you know, this will impact some of what I'm going to say. You see some players that are getting a niggle and then they get a different niggle and a different niggle and they're so uptight about it. And you wonder what it's doing for them. I don't know the psychology behind that or how particularly how that brain works. But like, you know yourself going through the rehab process that you just get so uptight about some things that you don't really need to get uptight about. But, you know, yeah, I, I've said that loads of times if I go back. Like the reason I can manage my, my injury and the, the frustrations around it is because... I didn't leave a stone unturned. You know, I prefer mm. to have done it that way than to be a social animal that didn't really do enough. You know, so for me, the lack of balance was skewed in the right direction for, for me to have peace of mind now. But like at the same time, I could have pulled back 10% and gone for a lunch and made a good decision there based on what I thought I knew um, and be more social and get out of my own head. Like, you know, and I, I think some of, the, some of that was that I was just trying to tick every box and it wasn't so anyone else could be told that they were wrong or right or, or whatever way it was. It was just, this is what I was supposed to do. So I was doing it as much as I could. Like, you know, this, this phrase of um, how you do anything is how you do everything. You know, that was something yeah. that I probably, I like to think in my head. And I was talking to my brother about this and it's like, you can't even give yourself a break then because you need to be switched on all the time or you need to do the right things at home all the time. It's, 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 again, it's not the extreme of that saying, but like, you don't want to, if you don't do it well enough, I think you live with regret. If you overdo it, and if I have regrets on the social side, that I can live with that. Like you know, um, there's times to catch up. But it was a, it kind of there was an end point to that period where I was a complete recluse. Like you know, so maybe I could have just relaxed a small bit more. 
So that would have been a major learning from your professional career, I'm sure. And it did definitely stand you in good stead going into self-employment, I would say. Are you able to switch off now or do you still kind of sometimes be like, I need to do everything as best I can? Or are you told, here, look, finish that up and then take the night off? Yeah, it depends on who you're asking. But um, no, I don't. I don't really have an off switch and it's shocking. Like I... I can't, when I was a player, you see, I, I had a specialised position as a kicker, like in an out half, and you just, and then as a professional, I think you can't really switch off. Some fellas are very good at it, some fellas are too good at it, and there's, you know, you have to be somewhere along that spectrum too, but like, my whole life was a training day in terms of when I was getting my next meal and when I was doing my extras, and I, I didn't as an athlete switch off either. If I was in a social situation, I was still thinking about what I was doing the next morning, like, you know, so no, I was able to enjoy myself. I put it out there as if I'm absolutely zero crack like I'm a small bit not the best crack in the room but I, I do have my moments um but I think I'm a small bit like that I think self-employment runs parallel to that you know like it's I see a lot of people and they're afraid of work as well and it pisses me off in a sense like they think they want to be self-employed or they think they want to climb the ladder in a certain job and you're kind of going come off it like you know you're not willing to go into work five days a week and and leave when the job is done but at the same time I envy some fellas who have that and they know how to leave work and they know not how to not care about it either like you know so I think something that's happened to me in the last small way is that you know you can't control some things when you're stuck in something else and that even it's only in the last couple of months that I decided like you know my laptop I know there's something on my laptop and I want to get it done but I'm somewhere else you know so like if I'm if I'm in Carcan and I'm and I know there's a nutritional program that I'm trying to do on my laptop I physically can't do it so stop thinking about it you know, so like that's why I write I write down a lot of things and to do lists and stuff like that, just so I don't forget about it and my head my head gets a little bit more settled. But at the same time, there's another stage to that where I'm kind of going, you can't do it right now, like so shut up, like and just stop bothering yourself, and you can get back to it when you're back to it. You know, so it's more kind of a trying to close off when you're doing one thing, being that thing, and when you're doing another thing, being that thing. And I I think I actually came a small bit in a realization from um listening to Johnny Wilkinson podcast on the high performance podcast and like he kind of just spoke about uh living uh, it's cliched about living in the moment but like doing what you're doing 100% then doing the other thing 100% so like if you're being social go and be social and do it properly or if you're working work properly now I don't mean that as if I don't look at my phone when I'm supposed to be doing something like but um I think there was a small bit of a, a switch that I flicked in the last couple of months that just might not be very good at it, but I'm getting better at just deciding like you can't do that right now. So stop and do something else um, and do that properly. And don't don't be looking at someone with a blank expression because you're thinking about being somewhere else. Like, you know, that podcast is my favorite podcast of all time. And it, it has a big parallel with another piece of uh, literature that I've heard you talk about before, which is Cal Newport's Deep Work, which I love as well. And about yeah. setting boundaries around your work as well and having a place to work and being in the work when you're doing it, no distraction. And then when you're away from the work, you have the opportunity to relax from it, which I don't do well myself. Like, I, I don't. I'm like, And that's that's a life of being self-employed, as we talked about. There, there'll always be work, though. There will yeah. always be work. It, it's never over. That, no. the to-do lists are great and all for crossing things off, but, like, you could easily add another few things to them every day. Like, so you yeah, need to just relax sure. at times and take some time away from it to relax so that you can be more efficient when you come back to the work. I think that's, like, the, the empathy for yourself as well. Like, I mean, I was working at the... I think it was after the wedding we came back and I was, like, I had a load of things to do and I got up early and I, I surprised myself and how efficient I was that morning. I got loads of things done that I didn't think I was going to do. So I moved on to the next thing after lunch and... 
in my head, I have a kind of a time period where something should be done. Like, so if I'm doing a nutritional program, it's X amount of time. And if I'm doing an article, it should be X amount of time. So like, I have those things in my head, but in the afternoon, I wasn't getting through it. Like it just wasn't happening. And like, that would just stress me out more and more. Like, and I want to finish it then. I want to get it done because next thing I, I can't move on to the next part or I can't make the dinner on time to get out to training and all that kind of crack. But like, I actually just kind of slow down and say, you know, you've got a lot of work done this morning. There's only so much of this actual efficiency that you can have tip away like and what you get done you get done and it actually just settled me a small bit i think i did finish it in the end but like you know as in at the time that i thought but like it was just the stress i'm very bad for i think about losing something where is it and chloe be gone you find it it was there the last thing i was like no i need to find it right now you know and if something's in my head it has to happen right now and like the stress doesn't do you any good like you know the password is sitting on a locker anyway so when you're out inside in town and you can't find it because you're not at home what's the point of thinking about it more you know but look i think there's there's certain traits that are our biggest strength and our biggest weakness. So yeah, absolutely. Like, I think I say that about a lot of people, like their strengths are the ones that go against them, not their weaknesses so much because that is their weakness when they take too far. So like my work ethic from being a professional player is probably my biggest weakness as a person at home. Like, you know, because mm. I just won't switch off or give me two seconds there. I just need to switch on the laptop or something. Cause it's not coming out. It's not going away out of my head. Stop. Like, you know, so that is a weakness as much as it's a strength. But you can't wish that you were any other way, I suppose, no. because like then you wouldn't be the way that you are in the facets exactly. of your life that it improves like, and it, and it makes you yeah. better. It sounds like you were more so of a warrior than a warrior in terms of your preparation for games and like you had mm-hmm. to have it all ticked off. And that is kind of, I think, of most out-haves, that's kind of a, a common um, characteristic of them. Like, do you know, other than maybe a few very high-profile ones that don't worry about the game at all until it's yeah, time to play the game. But, but that's the way we do envy them as well. Like, Yeah, yeah, but that's, that's perception as well because I think, like, I'm definitely a worrier and I wouldn't really hide that because that's what, that's what made me more and more of a, a hermit and a recluse when I was, when I was injured and rehabbing. Like, I... I couldn't have lived with myself if I didn't, if I did it the other way. So like I did it yeah. this way, but you know, like, and I, I worry about a lot of stupid things and other people are very, able, very much able to switch off and put it to the back of their mind. And that's just the way you do things, but you have to be able to, once you're aware of that, I think you can kind of deal with it a little bit better, but at the same time, like preparing for games and things, I would have liked to have my work done and go into the game. I was still nervous, yeah. but like no one, you know, you go through a string of games and people are going, how are you managing this? Like, you're only kind of just into the team and you look like you're enjoying yourself and you look like you've got your, you look relaxed. And I was nowhere near relaxed. But that's a perception that you have to try and get out there for your own sake, but also for the people around you looking at you. If you're in a bag of nerves trying to catch a ball, people are going, kind of going to lose confidence or respect in what you're doing. So, so like, you have to put other people at ease as much as you have to put yourself at ease as well, like. Yeah, but prep puts you at ease, like because you yeah. know what's coming. Like the same thing that they could be saying to you, like Johnny, why didn't you come for a coffee with us at the weekend? Like, and then at the weekend you don't spot that uh, their wingers coming up and there's loads of space in behind her. Like Johnny, why didn't you spot that? And it's like because I didn't do my video. When you were, well, I went for a coffee yeah, yeah. with you, lads. So like, yeah, yeah, it's just like at some level and at some stage, people just need to. I know it's cliche, but they have to accept you the way you are. You can still work on yourself and work on the things that aren't helpful for you but at the same time just people are people you know that's the way they are yeah. that's what works for them so like you just have to give them uh their space i suppose and you have to be good as a person that's setting boundaries and saying like no this is just the way that i do it so i think that's know. like when you're dealing with people you know in a squad i know with like a monster we did that kind of um personality profiling and stuff like that as well like whatever you think about with certain ways of doing it i think it just opened there was learning and doing it regardless of what that structure was so like 
this person deals with things through conflict and this person thinks about it really logically and this person really hates conflict. So like, like I, I like confrontation a lot more than my brother likes it. And you know, we're triplets, so you know, we're not the exact <laughs> same people. So it's like, and, and my sister would probably be in the I middle. Was interested, so. Yeah, so she likes a little bit more conflict, but not as much as me. So like, no, I'm not exactly going around arguing with people, but if I, if I believe in something, I'm going to keep going, you know? So like, yeah. it's how you deal with different people and small things like we played PlayStation when we were younger, when we were younger and uh, I'd probably beat Cormac once or twice. And then if he got his win, he'd be like, happy out, leave it like he's yeah, undefeated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, play me again. And he's like, no. And I'd be like, play me again, more confrontation, more competition. And he's like, no, I don't want to. And I couldn't, couldn't understand why he didn't want to compete again or why he didn't want to, he didn't want to beat me twice. He's only, he was happy with beating me once or whatever it was. Like maybe, I, maybe I wasn't even beating him at all, but like, you know, I just, I couldn't understand his different approach. And that, that was something that actually allowed me to understand other people's approaches. But when you deal with other people and you understand that then as well, that you know, you know, he's after biting the head off from here. If I react, we're both arguing, whereas I know that that's his way of dealing with things. So if I give him five or 10 minutes here, we might come back and have a better conversation. So like, you know, there's, there's restraint in that and a bit of control in that and it, and you're not always like I mean I meant to say a while ago I'm not a perfect person like by any means and I've got a lot of flaws but so it doesn't, I don't want it to come across that I'm, I've got my shit together and I know everything but like you know I think when you're I've got a bit of a framework in my mind where people without awareness you know you can't action things yeah the next the next part of education is making people aware whether they action it or not at least they're aware and then you get action and awareness together so like you know, when people are unaware, that's where you get loads of conflict and they don't know how to deal with people. Then when you're a bit aware of how to deal with it, you don't deal with every situation well. Like I'll still argue with Chloe because I'm in completely wrong about something, but I just get stuck into it and I can't pull it back. I was aware then that I got a bit riled up and I can deal with my actions afterwards. Whereas if I wasn't aware of that, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't back down. You know what I mean? Whereas the, obviously the best place to be is being aware of that and, and taking that action but like it doesn't always happen. So like, I think that's, I deal with that like in terms of nutrition as well. People will say like, I'm going out at the weekend, I'm having a couple of pints. I know it's not the best thing in the world, but look, socially, I need a little bit this weekend. And I, I'm kind of going, well, at least you're aware and you're not coming into me on Monday morning going, I'm two kilos heavier. What is going on? Like, mm. you know, we can kind of go, well, you said this before the weekend, you're aware that the pints are going to make your weight go up. You're aware that you have a bit of pizza after you're out. Uh, it doesn't mean that you've ruined the whole thing. So let's settle down a small bit, less frustration. Whereas when you don't know those things, frustration goes high and you can't really deal with it. But I think that's that's applicable to a couple of different areas, like whether you're dealing with a person or you're dealing with nutrition or you're dealing with coaching. Like 3v2 in rugby, if they don't see it and you're telling them to pass the ball, they're kind of going, what do you mean? Like there's a space in front of me. And you're going, no, there's a bigger space on the edge. Like you should have thrown it. And they're like kind of banging their head off the wall going, what's he on about? If they're aware that there's a 3v2, but they held onto the ball, at least they'll go, I saw it, I just didn't give it. And we're both on the same page. Obviously, I'd like them to see it and pass the ball, but like that doesn't always happen. You know, so I think that's the thing about creating awareness and education so that people can action it and it's their decision whether they do or not then afterwards. Loads there. I love I love it all as well. Like and the thing not about conflict thing. as well, like people always think about conflict as a bad thing, but conflict is your approach to everything, as as will be mine. And it's the conflict is getting things done and out of the way. So yeah. if there is an issue, I'm going to address the issue head on and then it will be over. Whereas other people kind of are more comfortable with leaving that issue sit for a while. Whereas self-employed people like myself and yourself just <laughs> can't leave anything sit. It has to be done. It has to be out of the way. And then I can relax when it's after way, out of the way, but I can't relax otherwise. But like yeah. have now knowing and being aware and understanding different personality types, 
has that helped you to understand different players' point of view in different situations? Whereas before, when you were playing, you would have been like, why'd you give it? Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, you know, the person without confrontation, you're going up to them and going, did you see it? What are you seeing? This is what I saw. You know, what's your solution here? And maybe just allowing them to kind of speak back to you a small bit more. But then if they're a little bit too yellow and too, too relaxed, you kind of have to go, come here, that was on. You have to give the ball and they go, what? And they kind of, you, you get their attention, you know? So like at the same time, the person who you know is going to come back at you, you might have to take that soft approach with them as well or else it's an argument. So like, you know, but also they might respond well to that approach because they see what you're seeing and they take it more seriously because otherwise they're going to just kind of uh, control you in the in the, the kind of conflict area. Like they just kind of overpower you and they're right, even though they're wrong, you know? And, but at the same time, I can be wrong with these things. So like you said earlier about empathy and, and stuff like that, if I'm going as a coach, this is what's on the video at, at slow speeds. I'm not a fool. Like, you know, that's not what happens on the pitch. So, like, I'd often kind of say, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I'm seeing and I think it's on. Another, they'll go, no, not what I was, not at the speed of the game. And I go, okay, fair enough. But at times you have to go, absolutely not. Like, players are, you know, they're, they're going to play Mossy as well at times, like, depending on who it is. So, like, you have to go, no, absolutely not. I think you've time there to give it. All right, okay, fair enough. You know, so it's like you said, that's it's not really... your response usually. Yeah, <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. I see. Oh, it would be very, very easy if that was the answer. Yeah. But yeah. that's why I was going to ask you was because like you're so close in age and you have played with a number of the players that you're now coaching. Is that ever a struggle with you in that sometimes they might see you as more of a peer than a coach? But I suppose it's a little bit easier as well because you're you're doing that collaborative approach where we're working on it together. So that probably works for you yeah i think you use it in one sense but it definitely comes against you in others like so i mean if you're trying to get buy-in from people it helps that you've been fresher out of the game or it helps that you're um still seeing it from their eyes like and i think you know our our coach and con brian hickey would have said to me at some stage you know i like how you're still seeing it from the player's eyes and i'm up in the stand kind of job you know so whether i'm moving too far back into that stand or not i'm not sure but like I think like that now you're trying to understand where they're coming from a little bit more and you're conscious that if you're the person dealing with the absolutes like you said earlier that no that's the decision that you lose their you lose their respect in one sense but you'll also lose their buy-in like you know so it's not something I did consciously but it's just something that kind of came to me when I was a young coach like but at the same time then you you are on their level age-wise and stuff like that knowing pushing on a small bit with our fellas but you know like I, the hard side of that is when you do have to be a bit more authoritative and you have to select a team and you don't want to leave everyone down or anyone down. So like mm. it's uh, there are there are times where you know you prefer to be dealing with fellas who are 20, 30 years younger than you and you don't really care what they think, but I do care what they think. You know, so it's it's uh, that's where it becomes a little bit tougher. Like I don't know, maybe that's my approach and I'll always care what they think, but like sometimes it, it is a little bit difficult. Like uh, stepping more into that kind of main role and kind of it's just it, I. I hate that side of the game. I hate having, like, I like dealing with people, like, definitely. And I like explaining where I'm coming from and seeing their view on it as well. So, like, you know, my biggest thing with them at the moment is that I'll be honest with you when, I, when I'm when i trying to, if I'm selecting you or not selecting you, I'll still be honest with you. And I, otherwise, I think I'll kind of get caught up in my own lies and they're going to lose my respect anyway. So I'm going to lose their respect. So uh, I'd like to try and keep it as open and honest as I can so that we're still on that level. But, like, you know, the minute you start kind of promossing them, you lose you lose the relationship. So I think that's a that's a really tough one for me at the moment. It may, I don't know, do you ever get used to it? Because I know older coaches will tell you so it's the worst part of the job, like, and mm. I believe it as well. So that's where it's hard when you are more their age or some of them are older than you and you've built up a relationship with them as people and friends and players before you dealt with them as a coach. So but I you think have that to is, do that, that as well, though. You have to do that as well, like. 
if That's you're going to connect with them like you've, you've got to have a relationship with them and especially yeah, what you said go on the relationship comes with truth as well though like if you say yeah. like i just don't think you're playing that well and they say i fucking am like and who's better than me and what are they doing and you kind of go this is the way I see it. And at the end of it, then you might have to just go, look, that's what I've seen this week. And that's my decision. And it doesn't mean that you're out of the game next week. You know, like, so it's, I think it's a really hard part of the job though. Like, like but it you, has to be honest as well though. Like there's yeah, just yeah. because it's honest doesn't mean it's harsh. Like you can still exactly, put yeah. a nice tone on it and say, and, and exactly. the other thing is like, they'll, if you lie to them once, they'll hmm. spot it and they'll know you're lying to them and they won't trust yeah. you again. And you have to have trust and open lines of communication. Yeah. It sounds like these, you do go too too far but sometimes you just have to be like that's the way it is like you know and yeah. there'll be a response but at the same time you're dealing with their reaction in that conversation they'll come back to you tomorrow and go yeah look all right i need to work on this or they might come back to you and go you're still wrong so like yeah. then maybe i need to look at my actions and, and rethink it as well you know so like conversations in the one spot are the conversation that you're having but both parties go away and reflect on it and come back like you'll, you'll have an argument with someone or you'll have a discussion with someone and like even if it's myself and Chloe, we'll have an argument. We we'll both go away, and you might come back and go, "Look, that was my fault." Maybe both of us don't do it at all, actually. But you know, at some stage, you will kind of go, "That was me." Or you might come back and go, "No, it still was you." Like you know, so I think there's um, you you have to allow the kind of process to happen where people can reflect on what they've said as well. So like if a player comes gunning at you, you don't need to go back at them to be authoritative. Maybe sometimes you do because they're out of line or they're talking shit or they're wrong. Like factually. depends on the person. Yeah, sometimes you need to you need to allow them to get worked up because they will reflect on it at some stage and come back to you maybe with different uh, views as well. I see a lot in um, younger generations now, not to broadcast it, and it's very generalised, but I am generalising. I see yeah. that when you're coaching them now, you have to meet them on a level more so than the authoritative rep- approach that we were used to when we were yeah. younger and we were told what to do and that's the way it is and you have to do it and that's it. And yeah. you know yourself, like, if if a coach said to you like i don't think you're good enough back in the day like myself or yourself would say well you like i'm gonna i'm gonna do it now whereas now i don't know like if it's because people are more socially aware of how people perceive them but with younger lads sometimes if you if you're that harsh with them and you're that black and white with them you could deter them from from ever trying again so you have to you have to meet them on a level be honest about happening. it, but but you have to be open too. So they're like you have yeah. to have a growth kind of mindset and say, like, look, you're not playing great at the moment, but that doesn't mean you're a bad player. If you work yeah. on these two few different things, I'll be happy with you and hopefully that'll solve the problem that we're having. Like. Yeah, but like I think, like you said, they were deterred from sport. Like I hope it's not happening on my watch, but like people did go away from sport and they find a different sport because they can't deal with that person. I'd hate I'd hate for someone to get away from the game because of me. Like and sometimes they might think it's you at the time, but it's just competition. There's other people in spots. There's maybe it's just a, a personality clash or something. But um, you know, like I think the authority of like, you've got Eddie Jones's book behind you. I haven't read it, and I just saw a, an article. Send it to you. Yeah, like the, the article behind the paywall that I was looking at a while ago, I didn't really see much of it, but it was just along the lines of, I think it was John Mitchell, the coach, that kind of stepped away from him because mm. apparently he is so authoritative that it's it's old-fashioned. And like I don't have all the facts and figures because I didn't read the whole thing, but I think we can all kind of uh, understand the Eddie, jo- the Eddie Jones approach, like, you know, his way or, or someone else, or, or go somewhere else, you know? So, yeah. like, I, I think that, I think just with the way society is going, like, I mean, you might call these people a certain generation with, you know, snowflake generations and yeah, generations and all these kind of things. I think it's but communication like it, more so than that kind of thing. Like, like, isn't it? That we're, we're aware that you can have an impact on someone's mental health or you can have an impact on their enjoyment of sport or you can, 
you know, they just go away and find something else to do because they don't they don't need to listen to your shit. Like, you know, so I think you have to be very much aware that you will impact someone's day depending on how you've spoken to them. So you can, you can still get your point across without being a complete girl about it. Like, yeah, 100%. 100%. But that's the thing as well, like that I would have said you'd prefer the assistant coaching role than the head coaching role because it allows you more freedom. And I think that, I know it's part of the job, but in coaching and selection, like they're two completely different things. And I know myself, yeah. I definitely prefer the coaching side of things. I definitely but prefer having freedom to do yeah, Erzy's book was was fascinating in some angles that like he spoke about Axel during the time when he got quite stressed and wasn't enjoying his coaching because he actually wasn't coaching. He was dealing with contracts and he was dealing with hiring and firing and dropping and all the rest of it. So like, I think there is a, a part of that that as an assistant coach, you can come in a little bit less prepared because someone else is making the session. Oh, what am I doing? Oh yeah, I'll do that drill and I'll have 20 minutes and then I can kind of sit up the back for another small while. I never really sat up the back anyway because there's always another side to a game in rugby. Like, there's two lines. So you're either dealing with a defence or an attack. Like, there's always something to do. Um, so, like, I tried to get involved as much as I can. I never would sit up the back of a session anyway. But, like, you definitely don't have to have the, the, the dropping and selecting and you don't have to have a lot of those kind of the clubs and the committees and all the things that are going on above the level of the of the team. Like, there's a lot more going on. So, like, it is, it's a, it's a hard one. And, look, I'm, I'm a younger coach, I suppose, at 30. I'm still younger as a coach. So you have to deal with all those kind of things. Whether I grow more and more into that, I'm not sure. But like, you know, even in matches these days, in AL matches, like the second half becomes a, a conversation of subs and when you're going to make them. You actually miss a lot of the second half with things that are going on. And someone goes down, you're looking around, you to find your players and who's the best option with the combinations that's happening. Like, you know, so I actually find the second halves are harder to kind of get a, a handle on. And that's why I won't ever go at the end of a game and say, this is exactly what happened and why we were good or why we were bad because I have to actually look back you at it. To and you know? But the, the reason that's hard, I think, in the AL anyway and in Ireland is because you only have five subs and it's ridiculous and it needs yeah. to change. It's and if we had seven or eight subs, like it'd be so much easier and it'd be so yeah. much safer as well for the players. Because the theory is that we have less subs so that the players out there aren't as fatigued so we can I, I nobody gets injured. But if they get yeah. more fatigued, they're more susceptible to injury. So but never mind that anyway. I, I was going to say, like, it sounds like the Stuart Lancaster style role, like, of the head coach says what he wants us to work on and then devise the session plan. I'll go on a coach the session plan and I don't and keep me removed from the selection. Like I said, I think that that role sounds ideal. And it's similar to kind of soccer and a manager and then a coach. Like, um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm probably said like selection is on me, you know. So, like, with the, the, the first team anyway, I think the selection is on me. No, I don't make that all on my own, but like, it is my say, so I have to front up to those conversations. So, like, it's uh, it's definitely a tough part. But yeah, I still have Brian operating over me in a sense. Like, mm-hmm. so it's it's not I'm not out there on my own. Like, and I'm still learning quite a bit from him. So, yeah, but like you said, it's it's easier to coach and just deal with the facets of the game. Like, it's it's a different role altogether. It's the same as being. I think I kind of liken it to you know you're a nutritionist in a in a private practice and then you want to do your own thing. And then you only have so many hours in the day, so maybe you employ some people, but you end up being a business person, not a nutritionist. And it's like, which one do you want to be? And some people are happy being the nutritionist all their lives and other people are sick of dealing with people. They want to sit on top of something. And I think that's kind of similar to what it is. Like once you're, once you're dealing with the premises and dealing with who comes into it, you're actually not coaching anymore. So yeah. like it's trying to find that balance of which one you prefer. That's what we say as well, like as strength and conditioning coaches, is you you go up the hierarchy and then eventually somebody puts you in a head of performance role. He's really good at coaching. Let's make him head of performance. And then you go to that role yeah. and you're not doing any coaching. You're just dealing with people. Exactly, so yeah. It's a tough yeah. one. But then to touch yeah. on Con now before we finish, like 
it's been a tough start to the season, but I'll emphasize because I think people are getting carried away. Start. It's the start of the season. There's yeah. only been three matches, like, and you've had tough yeah. fixtures. And then the papers are saying, oh, Connor gone to the dogs or whatever. And oh, it must be really mm. tr- struggling down there. And the atmosphere must be really poor. But like, at the same time, like, you have Trinity this weekend. I'd say, well, it must be tough being in a, a situation where you're used to winning and then you lose. But like, it's only a couple of matches. Like, it's still wide open. Would that be the same opinion you'd have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyone who thinks that Conor gone to the dogs would be fairly off the mark. But at the same time, we were talking about this recently that like black and white, you're not at the top of the table. So like deal with it, you know. And I think if if everyone won all the time, coaching would be easy and everyone would be doing it. But like you're going to have to get through a phase where you have to, that's what coaching is. It's the same as like people who are only willing to deal with the first 15 or the first 20, 21 because they're easier to coach. Like when people need more development, that's where coaching starts. You know, it's not like coaching doesn't stop at the first 21, like, you know, so I think it's the same thing that you can't only coach when you're winning because that's the nice side of it. Like real coaching is the people that it's the Sam Allardyce or someone that comes in to, to, to rescue the team. They're the coaches, like, you know, they're, they're managers. So I think there is, no, you'd be hard on yourself. They're kind of going, fuck it, I'm taking a bit more of a role here and all of a sudden we're losing. And you can get caught up in that in the blame game. But like at the end of the day, there's things that happen, injuries, there's, yeah maybe a tough start but we'd like to think we're a tough start as well you know so like I, I wouldn't kind of tr- like a, a tough start for us three years ago is what made us go on a 14 out of 14 run like you know because we got we got past the, the tough start so that's an opportunity as much as it is a, a kind of a, a tough period of, of starting the season so like yeah I, with any of these things it, it's just stick to your processes stick to what you believe in and and the win will happen but like I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen this week but you know it, it yeah but you can never say that yeah, That's but if you like, if you if you start becoming more and more under pressure and more and more enclosed, then you just yeah. start you're not playing the game the same way and you're starting to freak out over pressure. So I think, like you said, it's three games in an 18 game season, like and it's kind of unprecedented and coming back from a pandemic and where people are at, whether they're taking holidays now that they wouldn't have taken before because life is more important and all of these kind of things, you know, there's different combinations of how we're going to coach and like other teams are going to beat other teams as well. You know, no I I had this thing in my head that like anytime we won the league or come close to winning it, we've lost three games. I think the two times I was more involved, you know, the year before I got involved in the seniors, they lost three games, but they won everything that season. Um, and the year we won the league, we only lost three times that season. And the year we were going 14 in a row, obviously it was 14 games or there was four games left with two playoff games. I don't think we were going to lose more than three, whether that was winning a final or not, I'm not sure. So that kind of thing was stuck in my head and you get these structures like, oh, you can't lose more than three. We're after yeah. losing three, like so, is three going to be the magic number post pandemic? I wouldn't really think so, but it's also in your control whether other teams lose three or not because you can have a dent off one or two of those games too. So I think there's there's loads to go, but like you know you can't win everything every year, unfortunately, and that's just a real reality that you've to that you've to work under as well, you know. So they, then, like obviously, from a coaching point of view, it's stressful, but from a playing point of view, it's stressful too. Have you been working yeah. to kind of lift the mood amongst the lads, the lads that do get stressed? Because not all of them will get stressed because they're losing, do you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm working to, to lift the mood, but I'm definitely working on being conscious of not dampening the mood so much because it's very easy to come in and go, "What are we up to? Look at what you've done, and look at what you've done, and you know we're so poor." Like it's very easy to do that, but like you have to, you have to come in and take the learnings from what you need to take and also not batter people's confidence like because that's no good to anyone and yeah. me, me as well so like I think it does tighten you up in a sense with like some bits of maybe a selection becomes an older lad or maybe you know whatever happens like you these things have to go through your mind because you're not after winning the last three games but like you can't just change what you've done change yeah. what you 
believe you win the first three games. You have to tweak things, obviously, but you can't mm-hmm. just go on. Like, if that's the case, you just play a completely different game plan to see if that one works, and then you use another three games on that. So, like, it's uh, not... You, I don't think you can change a whole last to, three games anyway. To go pure cliche next game and trust the process or the two things. Yeah, well, like I, I always think this, you, you kind of start looking down the line that this one might be a one might be one that we can take or another one might be one we can take, but like there's four or five points available for every game, you know. Yeah. So you can't take your eyes off the next four points, like hundred percent. Right. Before we finish firing through the quick fire questions, first one is proudest achievement to date. None of these are going to be quick because I don't do them that way. <laughs> I think like it's funny because you can be proud of certain things, but I'm obviously proud of getting selected for that Leinster game in the Aviva. I had a decent run out. I don't think I played as well as what people would, would perceive, but like it's more what I stood for. I was actually selected tier one game in competition. You know, I was trusted, but then that's sport, like, isn't it? Life is bigger. And I wouldn't say, uh, and like that was bigger than sport for me. Like my, my parents were in the stand. My brother was there people were there my friends and, and you know just stood for a lot in the communication what people were kind of saying to me and and the pride that other people had in me blah 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 but I think there's also like you know like you said I got married recently I don't think you get I don't think you're proud of being married because it's like an achievement but like I think you had to mention you know, it though yeah but no but the, the weekend that we had I, I just like Chloe was kind of saying to me like it's supposed to be the best day of your life and all that I was like I had the best weekend ever the people that were with us family and friends I just you know it's, it's yeah. not proud, but I actually just you value it, it I suppose I valued it quite highly like yeah, yeah it made me very content so I think it's different to pride but it, it's kind of like parallel you know yeah yeah I get you favorite athlete of all time um athlete's a funny one because I think about people who are out and out SNC athletes like you think about LeBron James and yeah Ronaldo but then you think about who's achieved things and you're you're kind of going you know Katie Taylor like you know what an athlete um, yeah so has been mentioned before actually in 40 48 episodes like has been mentioned yeah yeah I, I just think you can't I, I don't like to compare athletes because it's unfair it's a yeah. different sport how do you compare people at the top of their game there's so many great athletes but you can't say who the best one ever well, it's is. not it's not best I suppose it's it's like yeah. your favorite or somebody that's been My impactful favorite, in yeah. your I life just, I suppose I, I think I just kind of value different sides of that athlete like I think LeBron James as a or Ronaldo as an out and out athletic specimen you mm. put them up there but other people are just achieving so much that you you'd kind of appreciate that like katie taylor does too like you know so um someone along those couple next one's favorite rugby player of all time can be somebody you played with or somebody you played against or somebody not from our era at all well, i think someone that influenced me in my way of thinking and the way i've tried to play the game was johnny wilkinson uh, the, and it's supposed to be Raj because I grew up in Munster and I loved Raj and I loved Dan Carter but it was it was Johnny yeah but he was left legged he liked to tackle at underage I did at senior level I didn't really but um, <laughs> he was the one that I kind of thought you know he was top of the game he's the most commonly named rugby player for by a mile I would say yeah. next one is artists you've been listening to a lot recently I don't <laughs> I actually don't listen to music I listen to what's on and uh, yeah I don't really hold your yeah, Hosey would take up my my Spotify every now and then, or Dermot Kennedy then for a while. But I actually don't like. I just listen to what's on. Pour that way. That's the, you're the second person in a row that said that. Which and it's the <laughs> last time was the first person that had said that, which is very strange. Like nobody's listening to music these days. Yeah. Who's playing you in the movie? I don't watch movies. I watch what Chloe wants to watch. So again, what actor is playing you in the movie? So pick one. No idea. I can't. I I could think about this for. I think He's it was last Chloe. Chloe's hen, I was kind of asked a couple of questions like this, like who would Chloe think she'd want to be and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I actually can't think of anyone. So I was like, no, I'm not answering it. <laughs> so I'm uh, actually, it, 
you tell you enough that I have very little interest. Johnny's playing himself in the movie. He's so yeah. much time for all this work because he never yeah. watches movies or listens to music. Yeah, <laughs> that's why he's so efficient. Right, uh, what meal are you loving at the moment? I it's not so much a meal, but if, like I can't stop drinking chocolate milk. Uh, I love putting roasted or toasted kind of nut combination into my porridge, but I also I'm loving a small bit of Cadbury's chocolate at the moment as well, which is becoming a bad habit. So uh, some of those, but like, yeah, favorite. And you're still me. you're training away, also. Like as long as it's post training, like who would mind? Yeah, I'm doing um, what book books are you reading at the moment? I just finished Erzy's one, which is funny because I don't really read that style of book anymore. Um, but I had to read it. I ordered Ray Goggins' one as well, so that's kind of like gone away from what I was doing the last while. But before that, I wasn't really reading a whole lot. Like between. Uh, deep work and um, Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way. Those kind of yeah. you know self development books, for want of a better term, were what I was kind of reading. But since I started the masters, I actually wasn't really reading um, yeah. commercial books like that. You know, what's the biggest thing you've learned the last twelve months? Uh, the biggest thing I've learned, but I'm not still very good at actioning it. Is I think the pandemic taught me that people are way more important than what you're doing. Like the seeing your family and your friends and you know, don't just say I can't go to that social event because I still have a load of work on or, you know, just make a bit more of an effort to be at things and, and when you're there, take a lot of interest in people. So I think that was something that kind of hit home with me in the pandemic and Chloe kind of said, like, you've never taken the pace off if that didn't happen. So it's actually the pandemic's one of the better things that has happened to me in a, in a funny, twisted way. Um, but I've gone straight back into it and I found it very hard again to switch off. So, like, I think I have definitely learned that, you know, like I said earlier, compartmentalize things a little bit better and just be more available to people, I think be in the moment what would you yeah. tell your 18 year old self you're not doing too badly or you won't do too badly and you know i think keep working hard i think is a is a is a main feature of i think the foundations of what you do if you're not willing to work i think you're not going to really achieve what you want to achieve but at the same time you know you can reflect on what you've done and all that and you can kind of be very critical of yourself but i think whatever way uh, the roads twist and winds i'm happy enough where i am at the moment and i would i don't think you change things you know so i'd just say keep going and have an open mind and don't be so hard on yourself and you don't need sweet potato twice a day absolutely yeah <laughs> right johnny future. thanks a million that was great and um, thanks no for your time well. really really enjoyed it um thanks for coming on no thanks for having me appreciate it